Welcome to this episode of the Can Do MS podcast. Today on the show, I'm happy to welcome psychologist Megan Beyer from Johns Hopkins and guest Julie Stam. Well, Julie, thank you so much for being here. It's really nice to meet you. Um, I'd love to learn a little bit more about you. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, so I was diagnosed 14 years ago. In one month, it'll be 14 years. So it feels like such a long time now when I say that, but it still feels pretty new to me. <laughs> so um, yeah, so I consider myself a patient advocate and I am trying to normalize disability and I'm working pretty hard at it. Oh, awesome. Can you tell me a little bit more about your journey with MS? Um, so where did it start and how has it progressed up until now? It took a really long time to get diagnosed. So it started in 2001. I was living in London and just everything was going right in my life in terms of career, in terms of relationships, everything was perfect except for my health. So, um, and I was like, what could this be? You know, and you know, the doctors kept dismissing me saying it was travel and just stress and I didn't feel stressed. So I just was dismissed by so many doctors. Mm. Um, so when I finally was diagnosed, I was relieved, which most people get upset, um, rightfully so when they're diagnosed, but I was like, oh, thank God, I know what it is and I can do something about it. Yeah. And, you know, they told me go home, have, you know, have Christmas and then come back and we'll figure out your treatment and. That's pretty much how it was just so quick. And I was, unlike other people, I was really happy to just know what it was and just know who the man behind the curtain was and that I could fight and do something. You know, it's interesting because I've um, talked to a number of people who have similar reactions that they, um, some people get really stressed out when they're diagnosed, but there are quite a few people I've talked to who just feel relieved because they've had symptoms for so long and have been yeah. going through so many tests that finally they have an answer and they have sort of a plan of attack. Um, would you say that was kind of true for you? Absolutely. And then just not knowing, like just knowing that it's not in my head, knowing that these symptoms were real and that I'm validated, even though it took a long time, it just took one doctor running an MRI mm -hmm. um, to figure it out. But it was all the other symptoms that, you know, you go to the doctor and you say, I feel like I have a UTI all the time. And they're like, well, this is just stress. And here's an antibiotic and go home. Mm -hmm. And I think what it taught me when I speak to people now is to be your own advocate. You know your body better than anyone else. So if you go to a physician and they're dismissing you, it's mm -hmm. time to look for another physician. You know, it, you know your body. You know how you feel. And if something feels off, you need to be your own advocate and fight for answers. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I 100% agree. I often tell people the same thing. If, if you're not feeling like you're being heard by your provider, it's always worth a second opinion. So I, I know you said you felt sort of relieved after getting the diagnosis, but did life change for you after your diagnosis? And if not right away, has it changed since you've been living with it for some time? It, it my life completely changed because I used to work in finance, um, immediately went on um, long-term leave. The day of diagnosis, they put me on long-term leave. Mm. So um, that wasn't by choice. I didn't, I didn't want to do that, but I couldn't really do the job that I was given. And I worked really hard to get where I was and it all just went out the window. Mm. But, um, and that took a little while to get my head around. And then once I did, I realized that my purpose was well, like my purpose in life. No, but like I had a bigger, I had something that was going to be more rewarding. And I think I'm grateful that I think I would have been good at that, but I think I'm way better at what I'm doing now. Um, and I think 
I can sleep easier at night knowing that I'm every day that I'm working to make someone's life better. And I won't like, there is no amount of numbers or trades or anything that would make that as satisfying as knowing that I'll help a newly diagnosed person, you know, feel better about their diagnosis. That's really interesting. You know, I work with a lot of people who are going through transitions with their work, either having to take steps back in their job or even having to leave their job completely. And that can be, um, what word am I looking for? It can, it can be really disappointing, really frustrating, um, really scary. What was that transition like for you? I think initially there were a lot of tears <laughs> and a lot of uncertainty because I just didn't know, well, what does this mean? You know, I had gone to school for this. I had planned, you know, this is how my life was going to play out. I was going to have a career doing what I was doing. And then when that was taken away, I had to kind of reimagine where my life was going. Mm-hmm. And um, that it, it's one of those things that it, at the time, when I look back, I'm like, wow, that was so stressful. But now like, okay, well, we handle that pretty well. You know, you go on all those message boards and you talk to all the other people that are going through it, but it really takes you reevaluating what's important to you. And with MS, you have to like look at your day and say, how do you want to allocate your energy and your everything? Mm -hmm. So um, with diagnosis, I decided, okay, so what's important to me? Like I always liked working with people. It was very important to me. Relationships, friendships, those are all important to me. So how can I make that something that would be a career or something that would, um, you know, be comforting for me at night and knowing that I'm contributing to society and not just at home feeling bad that I don't feel well. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think we're all going to have really bad days, especially in the beginning when you're learning, going through all the medications and mm-hmm. the side effects and like that yeah. doesn't work. Then you have to have an MRI and then you have to get your results and you have, you know, all the different in the beginning, it's so much harder. Um, then years down the road, it's a lot easier. You know, you just, navigate the system because you've done it for so long so i think that and you have to everyone that gets diagnosed needs to give themselves a learning curve and just like be forgiving and say i need this time to figure out what i'm going to do to like stay strong long term because the short term it's it's hard to get wrapped up in but i think the long term is the focus absolutely what are some of the things that have helped you stay strong over the course of the last 14 years I think friends and family and um, I, I really think relationships are a big pusher. Um, and I, and I, th- I was married for a number of years, but that relationship served a purpose. It was there during my diagnosis and um, he was wonderful and we got through it and, you know, we traveled, we still did everything we wanted to do, just a little bit different, but then that relationship ends. And then, you know, everyone in your life at a moment, for a specific reason. And I think enjoying those moments and not dwelling on whether or not they worked or they're successful. Like now I'm in a different relationship for eight years and that's, you know, this is where I'm supposed to be, where I'm happy, where like my body and my mind thrive currently Mm -hmm. because I'm with someone that encourages what I need. Mm -hmm. And hopefully I do that for him, you know. Yeah, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about your family? I mean, how did things change I hear so often that roles change after people are diagnosed with MS. So some of the things that you were taking on, you might not be able to anymore. And so that has to shift. And I imagine that that shifted with your ex-husband and maybe even things um, are shifting and changing in your new relationship. Yeah. um, So when we met, it was just, 
you know, we just had different, we didn't plan on having children. Well, he was not planned. He was my greatest thing. And I would, I would do anything for him. He's my life. He's four. So it wasn't like, you know, that's why we stayed together. But um, he, uh, our relationship definitely has changed. You know, we went from going out to dinner was our priority and, you know, going out and having a good time. And now we're, you know, at home with a four-year-old and playing, you know, Legos all day, which is very different than, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but his role definitely has changed, you know, um, he, I wouldn't say that he's a caretaker, but he does, um, care for the family just as I care for the family. We just have different roles. So there are certain physical things that, you know, if we're having not pre COVID when we were having big parties or whatever, and people over, he'd be responsible for the vacuuming and the things that would exhaust me. And I would be responsible for the coat. You know, we, we allocate what drains my battery the most mm-hmm. and he takes, he takes the bigger stuff, um, that's the physical stuff. And I could take more of, you know, playing with my son on the floor isn't his favorite thing. And I love it. I'm like, this is, I could do this for days, but you know, he could vacuum and wipe everything down. And I'm like, okay, this is a good designation of who gets to do what. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, so how else does, has MS played a role in your relationships, either in your immediate family or your extended family or friends, you know, what I'm thinking of is I heard somebody else recently say that they had to kind of figure out who to go to for what um, after being diagnosed with MS. And I'd, I'd love to hear your experience with that. Yeah, I think that's um, really true. And, you know, all of your friends, you have certain friends that you're going to go to for fashion advice or, you know, what everyone has like some, you know, someone that's going to make you laugh is different than it, it, they all have different. So my sister also has MS. So she is my go-to Mm-hmm. person whatever because she um even though we have very different symptoms she understands that each day is a little bit different and the stress of it and not knowing and she she can feel that whereas my mom is like drink apple cider vinegar you'll be fine and I'm like if only I knew that's all it took and I I'd be cured you know and the, you know so everyone has different you know it's just like they say on you know if you post on Facebook people are like have you tried a new diet like mm-hmm. Yeah, I've tried everything. <laughs> you know, I'm doing what I can. So you just, I, I find that when it's a particularly hard day, I go to someone that I know can actually empathize with what's going on mm-hmm. instead of trying to fix the situation. Because I think just in general, good advice is to sometimes people just want to talk and yeah. don't want advice. Um, so if I go to someone that I know is always wants to fix the situation, that's just going to frustrate me. So I know who to go to, but I definitely agree with allocate, decide which one you're going to choose to go to, um, depending on what the day brings to you. Absolutely. I'd love to hear a little bit more about your son. Is it son? My son. Yep. Jack. Um, and what it's like to be a mom with MS. He is four and a half. Um, he just turned four and a half on December 1st. He's, he's a, perfect. Like, honestly, I don't, I don't know what I did in life to get such a good, like, I don't know how he came out. So, well, I don't, I just don't, I don't, I, so many things go wrong, like in terms of health, like my appendix just burst two weeks ago, like everything goes wrong, but with him, everything's gone right. And I hope it's the, cause he is just everything to me. Like that's if, you know, it's, he was not planned, but my God, it was he a blessing and he has changed my whole perspective of everything um and he does he sees the world and ms differently Mm. and i think parents with ms um raise kinder um 
not that people without MS don't raise kind children, but I do think that the children are more aware of what's going on around them. Mm -hmm. So I always say that my son, if we sit down at a table, he'll always make sure everyone has their plate mm -hmm. because he's always just looking, he's always observing. Um, like when I walk in his room in the morning, he always just evaluates how I look. And it, you know, it freaks me out. I'm like, oh my gosh, is it Bell's palsy? Is something wrong? You know, like, but he just evaluates what the day is going to be like. And just at that young of an age to have such a kind heart and to sit and look at his mom and care enough to, you know, change the course of what he's got planned in his mind for the day, whether or not we're going to play Pokemon or we're going to do board games or whatever it is, you know, he, he really adjusts. So I did something, I got very lucky with him. Um, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm super interested to hear your perspective on, on this next question because I work with a lot of young people that have MS and don't have kids. And many of them, both men and women, have described not really um, wanting to have kids or being afraid to have kids because they're afraid of how MS might impact their ability to parent. And you lived with MS for, it sounds like, almost 10 years before your son was born. Mm -hmm. um, and so I wonder if you ever had similar thoughts or, you know, how, how did life change and, and how do you think, what kind of advice would you give those individuals who maybe have that fear? So I think that's a great question. And it's one that I struggled with for a lot. So I had tried with my ex-husband to have children and it just didn't feel like it was in the cards. So I had resigned myself to saying, we're not having children. Mm -hmm. I'm okay with this. I like my life. I'm going to stay strong MS wise. Um, my doctors had told me not to have children. It wasn't advised because of my symptoms um, and the course of my disease. Um, but accidents happen. <laughs> and and um, yes, but I do think that it, it will add challenges and there are going to be parts of it that are not pleasant. You know, after you have a baby, it, it does have impacts on you. You know, it's, it's different for every person. Some people feel amazing during pregnancy. Some people don't feel great after pregnancy. It varies from person to person. So um, I think for me and my, if I were telling a young woman or a young man, if it's something that you wanted to do before MS, don't let MS be the reason not to do it. Mm -hmm. So, because even if, so say you end up in a wheelchair, say you're only here for 10 years of the child's life, you're going to give them enough love. You're going to, you know, your life expectancy isn't less with MS, but you know, there are certain things, but you'll come over, you'll overcome the obstacles just like you have during the diagnosis as you do individually, mm -hmm. but as a parent, you will also, and you'll come up with, you know, the stroller is a really good walking aid. Mm -hmm. There are, there are, there are, and your child, as long as you can give the love. And I think that's really, and just provide them with comfort knowing that, Hey, you know, we might not look the same as every other parent, but we're going to be here and we're going to fight for you and we're going to be good parents. And it's just going to look a little different because yeah. every parent has something, whether it be MS or depression or diabetes or whatever it is, but every parent has something and we all have guilt. Um, and we all feel like we're not doing enough. So like, I don't think MS should be a reason to stop you from that. Right. That, yeah. In my opinion, I'm not a medical expert, obviously, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't, like I, I am so grateful that I didn't miss the opportunity because of all the things that I've done in life, this is the one that matters the most. I could, I could do everything in the world, but he's what's making my term on earth worth it. Mm -hmm. So, 
I love that. I love that. Thanks. And as a mom of a three and a half year old, I especially love that. Oh, <laughs> uh, thanks. <laughs> Uh, so you also wrote a children's book. Can you tell I us about did. that? I did. Um, so I was looking for materials for him. Um, I, I, I'm very transparent about having MS. I mean, my doorman, like everyone, everyone that meets me, I'm like, I have MS. It's not a big deal to me. I'm very open about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I decided from a young age to be very open about it with my son. But I wanted to look at what other children were being introduced to it how it was being introduced to them. And I didn't like it. I didn't, I, I, I thought there were great materials for a little bit older. Um, I thought there, the, the age group that I wanted to get from that zero to six, I didn't feel there was something that I would read to a child, any child. Um, I, I'm not negating that there are resources out there and they're great. They're just not something that I wanted to give to my son. Um, so I created one and I took my cry myself to sleep. I write him notes. So I took my cry myself to sleep mom moments where I was like, this is the worst MS sucks. And like, this has ruined my life. I'm ruining my son's life. And then I talked to him about them and I said, how did you feel on that day? And he saw them completely different. My worst moments were adventures for him. And I was like, wait, now we got it. Now we know what we're doing here. So that's the book is every day in the book. Every page is based on a day we've lived Mm. that uh, those are bad days for me. Those are terrible days for me, but not to him. And that's what's important is that we have to remind ourselves to stop and talk to them. Mm -hmm. And they're smart little guy, you know, and girls, they know what's going on. They're aware, even if we don't tell them, Mm -hmm. they're aware that something's a little bit different. So we might as well embrace it and comfort them. And just like coronavirus, we couldn't plan this, but we have to just remind them it's going to be okay. We're going to get through this. And this is something a little bit different. We can't anticipate what's going to happen next, but we're going to just support and comfort is what I think is most important for them. Well, and just like coronavirus, I think that kids may adapt differently than uh, we think they will. Um, so for example, I have an aunt who said, you know, how is your daughter dealing with wearing a mask? You know, this must be horrible for her. And my daughter plays with her mask. Like she'll, (laughs) she'll, she'll play, pretend play, imaginative play with her mask on because it's just normal. It's part of life for her now. And so her perspective is very different than our perspective. And I would imagine that translates to other things like MS and, you know, any other medical condition that somebody might be living with, you know, um, because he's lived with you and has lived with this his entire life, his perspective may be very different than yours or even, you know, other people in your life. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's how I, it's really the truth because the things that we feel so guilty about as my, you're a mom, you know, everything, my goodness, did I give them enough vegetables? Did I do this? Um, and they just see everything differently. We're perfect to them, mm-hmm. even though we're not perfect. But to them, we are perfect. So I think yeah. we should just all be a little more forgiving of ourselves. It's easier said than done, believe me. Easier <laughs> said than done, for sure. For sure. Um, what kind of response have you gotten so far with the book? Because I imagine that this is a really helpful resource to, to many moms or parents with MS. I So I self-published because I wanted it in his hands really quickly. I wanted it in his hands while he can appreciate it. And I didn't really think that there, um, I knew that there was a market for it, but I didn't really know how much I wanted to run with it. I just knew I wanted a copy for my son. Mm -hmm. Um, But luckily um, it took off. 
And we got very lucky and a publisher heard about it and they picked us up. So we are coming off the market December 31st and being relaunched with a publisher in the fall, which is super exciting. And it's going to be my dream because uh, when I was self-published, I couldn't do it the way I wanted to. I wanted it to be a board book, but it's very expensive without the finances of a publisher behind it. But now we have everything. It's going to be my absolute dream when it comes out. But people are using it as a tool to tell their kids for the first time. That's my favorite. Um, And then just around the world, I'm getting pictures of people, you know, in Ireland and Scotland and in Italy and um, India and just little kids around the world loving the book, which is I'm doing school readings, um, which is really exciting. But just sitting and talking to kindergartners and how they what page is their favorite and how they read the book. Like, wow, this is really going to, I think it's going to make a difference. So that's really fun. Do you have any plans for any future books? Yes. I wrote book two and three. Um, So yeah. So they were picked up also. So that's exciting. Um, But this one should, uh, once this one's out in the fall, then the book two will be coming out the next fall. So 22. Okay. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> so earlier you had mentioned that you do um, advocacy. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, I've always volunteered. I, when I was in London, I volunteered with the UK MS Society. Mm-hmm. And then when I came back to the US, I started volunteering with the New York chapter. And so I was always at like the finish lines at the races to answer questions for people that never, you know, heard about MS, but wanted to just ride through the city. You know, they have the MS bike where they can ride through New York. Um, so I've always tried to, and, you know, I've been a, a speaker at their galas and stuff, just try to put a face to what MS can look like, because I think people picture a certain thing and then um, it's not really, and I, I don't want people to be scared. It, it's a totally different disease than it was 14 years ago. Mm-hmm. So if I were diagnosed now, yes, it would, I would be very upset. I'm not negating that you should be upset about it, but it's a completely different disease. You can get on, there's so many more treatment options. Um, I think I, I wish I was diagnosed now instead of 14 years ago. I would have, my whole life would be different. So I think my big advice for people is just to be your own advocate because that's, I wish I did that sooner. Um, and I wish I found the right medication. That's also like the big thing for people with MS is not, if it doesn't work, don't stay on it too long. <laughs> like yeah. switch, get something that works. Mm-hmm. How did you eventually find the right medication? I th- well, it took a really long time. I just kept getting worse. So I do think finding the right medication is like the most important thing. And even, it, you know, some people are completely against medication. I personally am not. Um, but just find what works, like find what keeps you healthy. Then I don't care what you're on. Just do something like, don't, don't not do something like you should, even if it's your diet or whatever you feel is helping you do something to help yourself because this disease can be relentless if you just let it run rampant. So, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, medication is a, is a really good point. And I often tell people that, you know, if you want to try a medication, and again, your provider is not open to it, you know, you can always get a second opinion and, and see, you know, if you're hearing the same thing. Um, but, you know, if I, you know, you mentioned try something and I'm wondering beyond medication, what other things do you th- 
do you do that kind of keep you well? Um, you had mentioned previously diet that you tried all the diets or, you know, um, yeah, many people <laughs> exercise, you know, meditation, you know, all kinds of stuff. I mean, are, are there any other strategies that you use to keep yourself well or stable? Wine. No, I do. <laughs> I do have a lot of wine. Um, no, I, I really think trying to eliminate stress is my biggest tip. Mm-hmm. Um, and I should do more exercise than I do. I, I have like a move it or lose it alarm on my phone. So I have to do 20 minutes a day of whatever it be. Um, but I, I do think doing stuff that makes your heart happy is the most important for me personally, as long as I, I can, I feel better knowing that I'm on a medication that's going to stop it, staying on top of my medication um, and getting rid of as much stress as possible. And then just like, coronavirus helps with this too, is focusing on who matters. Mm -hmm. Like even now, like I'll get text messages from people and it's really nice, but sometimes I'm like, am I going to waste 30 minutes of my day responding to some peripheral friend Mm -hmm. Um, instead of just saying, you know, Hey, it would be great to catch up on the phone one day. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I think I just want to allocate my space and my time a little bit better. And I think coronavirus is actually helping that. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you really devote your energy to what matters and who matters for you. Yeah, that's yeah. my priority. Yeah, unfortunately, like it, you, it, you have to kind of rein it back in sometimes because you lose track of it. But it is—it's a goal to just stay focused on what's important. Yeah. So you said you have bad days, and as a psychologist, I always have to ask <laughs> about mood type things. And, you know, and you're saying that you, you try to eliminate stress. How do you manage stress or, you know, the ups and downs that um, MS can bring to your mood? It's hard. It's, there's no one way to answer it. Um, so depending on what the issue is that day, you know, if my leg is particularly weak, that the mental weight on me, it, it just weighs on me. I, I feel like the whole, my mood is ruined. And then if I'm in a bad mood, then it, it radiates to everything else. So I really try not to let that affect me, mm-hmm. but eventually like it does. So yeah. I do think taking a walk is my greatest relief of just cl- clearing my headspace, breathing and not like, it's such a big deal. Just get out, get fresh air. I know like, even if it's just to the roof for 10 minutes, just to have a minute of like, okay, it's going to be okay. This is a bad day. Tomorrow will be better. And if it's not, you'll adapt because everything. And if you look back at your life, um, my favorite part of MS is that you forget most of it um, with cognitive issues, like all the bad stuff. I'm like, ah, I totally forgot about that. Thank God. You know, sometimes I wish I didn't write so many notes because then I'd be like, oh, I completely forgot. I fell and did that. Um, So cognitive issues are uh, thing, but I also like them a lot because I forget some of the bad stuff. <laughs> I love that perspective. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of nice. I'm like, oh, I totally, it's fine. It's not a big deal. It's okay. It's done. Um, but I, d- I do think just trying to remember the stuff that was so overwhelming in the beginning, how it's just a blip on the radar now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so everything new that comes eventually is going to be a blip. It, it's all going to be just like I have to use catheters. I'm very vocal about it. I don't care. I don't, I'm not going to be embarrassed. I'm not going to sit there and make someone feel uncomfortable. If someone feels uncomfortable because I have to use catheters, then that's on them. I don't care. You know, it's, those were all 
like to me, the end of the world. When they told me, I was like, I don't want to live. This is it. I'm not going to make it. End mm-hmm. of the world. Mm-hmm. Now I'm like, what an idiot that girl was. That's the ease of all the things that you have to overcome with MS. That's nothing, you know, like, so I think just trying to bring it back to perspective and looking at all the things that were like, this is the end of the world and they turn out not to be is kind of a good way for me to get through the bad days. Oh yeah, absolutely. I love that. I, I, you know, I sometimes think about getting diagnosed with MS or even some of those setbacks or those um, progressions as completely new learning experiences. So you have to kind of think about um, how I'm going to learn to live with this new symptom, which can be very disappointing and it's totally okay to be disappointed and frustrated and then also get back in there and figure out how I'm going to deal with this. And it sounds like that's what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Is, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you think would be helpful to know about you or your family? I think our family life will keep evolving Mm -hmm. and, you know, um, I think my priority is just to make sure that my son knows that he's loved and that will never go short in supply. So I think as long as I can keep doing that, then I'm successful in life. So I think there's going to be more ahead in all of our lives and just focusing on the exciting stuff and how to get through those tough days is the important thing. Okay. Awesome. Thank you to Julie and Megan. Uh, So thank you both for sharing your thoughts and ideas with our listeners. And of course, thank you to our listeners for tuning into this episode. And lastly, thank you to our 2020 online program sponsors for making this podcast possible. Thank you to Bristol-Myers Squibb, Biogen, EMD Serono, Sanofi Genzyme, Genentech, Novartis, and Mallinckrodt Pharmaceuticals. Be sure to check out our other podcast episodes on our website, candu-ms.org. We also now offer transcripts for our podcast if you'd like to have a printed version of this audio podcast.